The Cultured Meat Symposium 2023 is taking place on November 2nd and 3rd, 2023 in Las Vegas. Join us as we discuss topics of product development and manufacturing of cell-cultivated meat, poultry, and seafood technology. This year, we're doing things a little bit differently, waiving attendee fees and distributing tickets on an application basis. You heard that right. Pre-register for the event to get the latest updates on how you can secure your ticket. Learn more about the event and pre-register at www.cms23.com. Thanks for joining us on the Future Food Show. This episode is part of the Transforming the Future of Proteins series, where we explore the work of XPRIZE Feed the Next Billion, a global incentivized competition that challenges innovators to reinvent alternative proteins. Prince Khaled is the founder and chief executive officer of KBW Ventures and works across several tiers and levels of the business. He is highly active in the green technology ecosystem He often participates in events pertaining to sustainability, climate change, food security, and how food technology and breakthrough research and development promises to alleviate these pressing world issues. Prince Khaled, I'd like to welcome you to the Future Food Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be on here. Tell us a little bit about your background. Why are you in venture capital? And how do you describe what venture capital can do for the future of food? Ah, that's a great question. So, so my background, obviously, I come from a family. My father is a is a businessman, and since I can remember, since I was a kid, I've always been in his in his meetings in the early days, either eighties or nineties. And I remember being six, seven years old, all the way up to obviously twenty five, twenty six when I when I left working at Kingdom Holding which is the name of his company. But as a background, I come from a a family of entrepreneurs or businessmen rather, who really started with, with a real desire to make serious changes in the Middle East. And, and, and that really happened throughout the eighties and then the nineties throughout the eighties. It was, was one of the big, the big boom that happened in in the eighties in Saudi Arabia, which was construction. So construction happened, and this is what my dad was was into in the beginning. So doing having deals with construction companies to to really build the the mega infrastructure that we know of Riyadh is now, and then it moved into an investment arm. So he started making some bigger investments in bigger companies. Some of them would be the Four Seasons Hotel, let's say Citibank. And other big ones, Apple, for example. But I remember being being in in his meetings, just really learning the ropes and really learning and understanding negotiation, understanding reasoning behind this type of offer as opposed to that offer, understanding valuations, understanding of growth and value investing and stuff like that. So it really gave me a really good foundation to have the desire to go into this type of of, of world. And obviously, being a venture capitalist now, it, it veers off dramatically from value investing and growth investing because it's a lot riskier. However, I found really my niche with, with this, this type of investing because I absolutely love meeting entrepreneurs. I love 
learning about new trends and new breakthrough industries and or companies rather. So really, that's really why I, I started focusing on venture capital really in, in, in the middle of 2000, so 2005, 2006. And this is where I am now, you know, I've, I've alhamdulillah made some really strategic investments in the last six, seven years in the, in, in, in the food industry specifically, which obviously is a topic of our discussion. But it's, it's been an absolutely amazing ride. I love meeting these amazing entrepreneurs and seeing where they were then and where they are now. And, and if I can help in any way, shape or form, obviously I'm always available for, for them. Cool. And when you made the switch, so I, I think you said you were 25 or 26, did you go right into venture capital? I actually went into a private equity. I started a, a, a private equity fund in the Middle East called Levant Capital. And we had made a few investments here and there in, 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 in specific companies, but it wasn't really something that it was as exciting as I liked it to be. So uh, I left the company and then started my own venture capital company. And it wasn't really structured only maybe eight or nine years ago. It became really structured, but I, I started my own company and we started, well, we I started really looking into into early stage companies. And, and just understanding the philosophy behind the strategic decisions that some companies and entrepreneurs have made or are making rather at the time. And then grew to an ex to, to a way that, that required me to have a team, required me to have an accountant <laughs> and a CFO, and then obviously a legal director and then everything. And it really became what KBW Ventures is right now. So we have a bunch of verticals. One of them is construction. So we own a 50% stake in a, in a crane company, if you'd imagine that being an, a good investment. But that, that was actually a fantastic investment. That was about, it's about eight or 10 years ago. We have another one, which is real estate development. So we're, we're, we're practically transforming an emirate in the UAE called Sharjah to what it is right now. So we have a real estate development arm and obviously my passion, which is venture capital. Cool. And so I guess, when did KBW Ventures start looking into food technology? So I I remember, so there's a backstory behind this. I remember a while back, I had an, a health issue when it, it came when it came to my obesity, I was, I was pretty fat back in, back in the day. And I remember going to the doctors and then prescribing me medication for cholesterol and blood pressure medication and whatnot. And my family member, really family member told me that it was really important for me to look into a plant-based lifestyle. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll look into it. And I looked at it. And then obviously I was one of those people who said that lifestyle doesn't make any difference. It's hereditary and it's, it's my genes and I cannot beat my genes. You know, this is something that I've, that's, that's, that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. You know, long behold, I tried going vegan for a good, for a good, well, pescatarian for a good year or so, and then went vegan and then went back to the hospital, to the, to the doctor. And my numbers just were, went back, went back to normal. You know, I wasn't obese. I had very little cholesterol, if any, well, everyone has cholesterol, but I had little cholesterol than compared to what I was before. And I do attribute it to, to, to the lifestyle that I had. However, I really do did miss eating burgers. <laughs> I, remember, I missed eating, you know, the indulgent foods that I used to eat. So that was where that was when Beyond Meat had just started. And and actually, my attorney Will Fork introduced me to the idea of meeting Ethan Brown. 
And really, that was the that was the culprit, the culprit of of starting this lifestyle. So I I met Ethan. We had a really amazing conversation at then his little office in El Segundo, just south of Los Angeles, or maybe in Los Angeles, if you will. But regardless, it was there, and it was an amazing conversation. You know, we we tried the product for the first time, and I was absolutely mind blown for what it produced. And more importantly, what it could save. So a lot of people have different reasons for go for going the plant-based lifestyle. And I respect all of them. You know, it, it doesn't matter if, if you are vegan or you're not vegan. If you care about their environment, then that, that's what counts. And people contribute positively to, to, to the environmental changes that we're having in different ways. Some of them go plant-based. Some of them drive electric cars. Some of them have solar in, in their homes and everything. And some and others all of the above and make investments in sustainable companies. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to start investing into these companies because I wanted to contribute positively to, to the environmental issues that we have. And now you can scream left and right about whether that is contributing positively or not. I think it's a, there is a positive contribution to it. Now it's not net positive. There are negatives here and there when it comes to having, having a, a plant-based lifestyle. Well, having synthetic... Plant, let's let's call them plant-based proteins as, as your main source of proteins, especially when it comes to foods like Beyond Meat and Impossible and, and Gardenes and, and the others. Regardless of that, there there is a, a positive contribution to it, and I I tend to focus on the positive side, as well as trying to focus on the fact that all these contributions that people make or that I make at least have a positive net effect at the end of the road. And, and, and truth be told, one of the main reasons that I, that I went plant-based isn't necessarily because of environmental issues. It's really because I just do not want to be a part of pain, suffering, and having animals go through the, the horrible life that they have to go through, through factory farming. And that's really why I invested in, in into these companies, and I'm pushing for these companies to go to 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 come to market faster. Upside Foods is one of the main companies I invested in, and I'm and that's that's that, that's one company that's that I'm really really super excited about for the future. Cool, and I think we could definitely applaud Upside Foods for the recent regulatory approval, which is really really amazing to to see. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I love Dr. Uma, Uma Valedis and, and his team. They're, they're really amazing people. They're very driven and, and, and dedicated to the cause. And I couldn't applaud them more, you know, and it couldn't have happened to a better company. So Beyond Meat, was that KBW's first investment in a food tech company? Upside Foods was the first investment that we made. And then we did, we did Upside Foods really early, which was called Memphis Meats. And then we did Beyond Meat. Wow. Well, well, that's cool because those are two big, two big pioneers in the industry right now. They, they are, you know, again, the team is such an amazing team. They're very driven. They're very dedicated to the cause. And the main cause is just eliminating the endless suffering and the horrific suffering and, and, and the environment that these, these animals are going through, which is, which is honestly factory farming. Factory farming to me is, is, is what's on, on, on my crosshairs. I'm not looking at any other type of industry to, to disrupt. And I think that's coming whether we like it or not. You have a, a background in, in investment and venture capital. You have spent lots of time in Silicon Valley. I wanted to ask you how you've seen Silicon Valley and the Silicon Valley investment scene, for example, Sand Hill Road, change over really, I guess, the last few decades even. 
Wow. So yeah, one thing that I've noticed in the last, let's say, decade is the the strategy of growth at all at all cost strategy, and I'm happy to see that being wound down, if not died off, dying off as we speak. That was that was an era of of abundance, and that was an era of of, of heavy investing into companies with no with utter disregard to, to the fundamentals of investing, and that's really one of the main things that I've seen change. You know, I've I've seen. I've seen deal flow come and go sooner than I could even review these these investments. And right now I'm seeing somewhat of the polar opposite of it. You know, I'm, I'm seeing a slowdown of, of investing. There is there's definitely a lot of capital, as, as they call it, dry powder in, in in venture capital funds that are that is ready to, to be deployed. Hundreds of billions of dollars, actually, that's ready to be deployed. And I'm happy to see it being cons- these companies being conservative. And, and the manner of, of, of which they're going to invest th- this capital. And that's really the main difference that I've seen in the last 10 years. It's really the slowdown on, on investing at all costs and uh, at in any cost in companies that want to grow at all costs. So you would say it's definitely a good thing that these companies are being maybe more conservative and, and kind of focusing on some business elements. A hundred percent. I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing that I, and and it's it's really pushing entrepreneurs to be a little more <laughs> a little more creative and a little more I guess open book and honest about the uh, the strategy and growth of their business. You know, and a little more focused rather, uh, and the strategy and the fundamentals of, of their business. And I absolutely love seeing that. You know, I hate seeing a company that's focused on something and then they pivot into something else simply because that's where the the fundraising money is rather than the fundamentals of generating revenue is. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I like to see that change and definitely pushing down valuations, which is another big thing that, that, that's been a pain point for, for my side in the last, I don't know, seven years, five years, and obviously two years ago, and now solely different. Maybe more realistic valuations, which is honestly better for the founders and investors. So better for everyone, would you say? That's a hundred percent right. It is definitely better for everyone. For that, you know, you, you can say you you couldn't have said it better. If you're listening and you're an entrepreneur, don't be discouraged. This is also a very exciting time. So, so, so definitely good words of wisdom. Earlier, we were talking about animal agriculture, and there are organizations, whether startups or other organizations, that are striving for the reduction of animal agriculture by 2040 or 2050. Some even have like 40 by 50 or, or you know, programs like this. I wanted to ask you, what changes do you believe will come by 2050? So looking at the next, looking at the next 30 years. That's a great question. So as, as you know, the, the regulatory approval that Upside has recently gotten from the FDA and the USDA to, to sell cell culture, the meat, is, is, is monumental. You know, I, I thought actually it'll happen a little sooner, probably last year, but I'm really happy to see it happen this year. I, I can see why it didn't happen last year with the, with the pandemic and people in the government really focusing on other, other more important things rather than this issue. But I'm happy to see their, their, the, the concentration shift towards a really important topic, which is sustainability 
cleanliness and actually getting what you're advertised and what you're paying for when it comes to meat. Because there's a lot of additives that, that, that comes with meat when it comes to the hormones, when it comes to the, uh, the antibiotics, when it comes to all sorts of, well, not even to, not, not to mention also the horrific suffering that animals are going through in the, in the factory farming umbrella. But uh, what, what do I see? I, I honestly, I can't see much happening other than in the next, I want to say sev- five to seven years. I, I do predict to ha- have, well, not a little sooner than seven years, I think five years. And I know a lot of companies would think, would like, would like me to be a little less optimistic, <laughs> but uh, I hate to, I hate to, to know, not be realistic in, in my view, at least when it comes to the, to the, to this industry, I think we're going to find price parity when it comes to cell cultured meat and uh, conventional meat. And I think that's when the scales are going to tip for the big companies like Cargill and like Tyson and like JVS from, from Brazil and really have them not even, not just focus on, on, on cell cultured meat, but actually have it be the main revenue driver or revenue generator for their business. Because at the end of the day, if you look at the JVS or you look at Tyson and Cargill and others, but if you really think about these companies, they're, they're, they're a protein sourcing companies. They're not necessarily looking towards putting animals through horrific, horrific environments just for the fun of it. They literally are doing this because they want to produce protein. And the easiest and more and more efficient way to produce protein in a factory scale would be cell cultured meat. And I think we're going to see a huge shift in the next, let's say, 25 years with these companies really getting, getting, changing the dynamic of their business model and having a cell cultured meat as a main driver. I, however, if, if you were to ask me, when are we going to reach price parity? Five to seven years would be more realistic when it, when it comes to self-cultured meat versus actual meat. And that just depends on, on, on scale. You know, you want to, you, you want to get this type of, this type of protein and not into, not into just the high-end restaurants, but you want to get it into the, the fast casual and then the fast food restaurants. Yeah, I guess if you think about it also, the Tysons and Cargills and JBS, they're also interested in in you know potentially using cell cultured meat technology. So, you know, maybe these will be some big producers, along with upside, right? Of of cultured meat in the future as well. Yeah, correct. I couldn't I agree with you then. So we've been hosting some of the finalists for the X Prize Feed the Next Billion Challenge on the show. And I wanted to ask you. What benefits do you believe will come out of this challenge? And what can the world gain from challenges like this XPRIZE Feed the Next Billion Challenge? You know, Peter Diamatis is someone that I really look up to. And I absolutely love his vision and I love his, his enthusiasm in, in solving real world issues. And obviously, food sustainability is one of them. So as you know, I, I serve as an advisor in, in their program, which is Feed the Next Billion. And I think one of the main drivers of success for this program is really the focus on getting innovators from all around the world. So not necessarily from one continent or whatnot, but from all around the world to really chip in and, and show us their vision on, on, on how they believe food sustainability can be achieved, or at least food sustainability when it comes to meat proteins. And I think I think I couldn't be, I couldn't be in a better place. You know, this this is somewhere where I'm I'm honored to serve at. And if they ask me to do anything else in, in this field, I'd be more than happy to. 
and I'd be honored to. It's, it's one of the most pressing issues that we have in this world, and I would love to see an ending to, to factory farming. I'm not, I need to clarify, I'm not saying I want to see an ending to, to people eating meat. And I'm not saying I want to see an ending to wild-caught, reasonable, or quote-unquote sustainable hunting, because that's never going to go anywhere, whether people like it or not. What's on my in my crosshairs is, is factory farming, and I think that's going to be disruptive. I, disrupted. I do not think that hunting and, 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 and wild-caught and, and sustainable fishing can, will, will actually will go anywhere, and nor do I think or should it go anywhere. Well said, and it made me think to your previous point about arguments for and against the sustainability of alternative proteins. And when you look at what kind of environmental impact there is on traditional animal agriculture, it's so insane. Usually, you know, top one, two, three, I think it is the top, but depending on the type of animal, top one, two, or three, of course, these alternative solutions are, are going to be better for the environment. A hundred percent. And and again, you know, it's very hard. To, this is a very hard sell, you know, when it comes to talking to people and talking about environmental issues. And and, and, and truth be told, I understand why. So, so to me, it's a big issue and it's a real issue. It's part of what drives me to doing what I do. But animal welfare through the ending of factory farming would be something that I'm really, really, that, that's really my, my main driver behind all this. So I wanted to ask you, what advice do you have for food tech startups? And if there are entrepreneurs listening that have a future food startup and they're trying to raise capital, what advice do you have for them? It's a crowded industry right now. There's more than 100 companies around the world who have cell cultured meat as their business model. And I see that weaning down through, through acquisitions or through just running out of capital because it is an expensive endeavor. However, for people who are really focused on, on, on food sustainability, you know, there are so many verticals that, they, that, that people can focus on. You know, there's vertical farming, aqua, aqua farming, there's, there's plant-based proteins that, that they, have, they have not perfected yet. Really, they have to focus on scale and focus on delivering the best product for the, be- for, for, for the absolute best price. The best product is arguable. But the, the best price is there's no argument that it's much more expensive than traditional meat. And that's what really, that's what really is driving people away from plant-based proteins. And it's not anything else, you know, it's, it's, it's not taste. Taste is there, you know, there, we're about 90% there. I would say Impossible has a little more realistic taste than, than beyond, but let's say, let's say it's 90% to 85% to the real thing. So they're, they're, they're not far at all. But they really have to focus on, on delivering the best product at the lowest price. And if they want to really crack the code, that is really the, the thing they need to work on. Just coincidentally, yesterday I was at Black Sheep, one of our portfolio companies, and, they, and they're, they're really focused on lamb, which is a brilliant protein to, to, to focus on because it's, it's a plant-based protein. There's no GMOs at all and obviously no hormones, no chemicals, and then nothing weird from that. And their product is, 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 is definitely focused on, on the upper echelon of, of meat. So they don't really have to, quote unquote, focus on, on, on price as much as, you know, you know ground, ground meat does. But they're really, they crack the code on it. You know, their, their product is very competitive when it comes to comparing their, their protein with, with actual lamb. And it tastes absolutely amazing. It literally reminded me of, of what lamb would taste like. So disrupting 
certain types of, of proteins would be really important. So I would say focus on, on which protein you're, you're going to and don't just focus on the largest, the biggest market share of, of the largest consumed protein out there, like, for example, chicken or ground beef, because that's a very crowded market right now. That's good advice. And I have tried the black sheep lamb, at least the plant-based version. And it is, it really, it, it's so good. And and so I guess, Sunny, if you're listening, let's get you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sunny, you have to do it. Yeah, please. I, I would love to hear him uh, on your podcast. It'd be amazing to hear his views on this too. So as we begin to wrap up, I wanted to ask you one last question. And that's really, you know, what is a, a key takeaway that you've learned from your investments? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a food investment. Okay, yeah. So one thing is don't don't focus on on the industry. So one takeaway is I sh- I shouldn't focus on the industry that I just want to invest in no matter what. I should really focus on the fundamentals of the company that's disrupting or that I hate that word disrupting, but that's going into this type of industry and and it really I need to focus on the company, the fundamentals of the company, how they're going to achieve a higher market share and, and, and how they're going to be generating revenue doing so. I think that's really the, one of the most important takeaways that I had because I was really focused on, on, on just investing in, in, in companies in a certain industry and really overlooking other amazing companies and other, and other up and coming industries that are happening right now. You know, be it in, in fintech, be it in robotics, be it in retail for that matter. I mean, or even SaaS products. So I, I really want to have the, my main takeaway is really focus on the company and the fundamentals of the company rather than the industry that I want to invest in. Because I tend to overlook, I used to tend to overlook the the company and just focus on the industry that 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 it was quote unquote disrupting. I like that. Well, Khaled, thank you so much for being a guest on the Future Food Show. Oh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I hope I hope you had a good time and, and, and I hope I didn't bore anyone to, to tears with what I was saying, but it's just something that I'm really close to and it's a passion of mine that I absolutely love. I think that the candid answers definitely come through. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is your host, Alex, and we'll see you on the next episode. 